Small Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to the Town Talk Radio Show uh, and for joining me as I have two uh, fantastic guests lined up for today. Uh, just in case uh, you've never tuned into this show before, uh, welcome, and maybe a little rundown on how the show works. Talent Talk really centers on the topics of talent recruitment, management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. So these are all really timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR pros, and really anyone who's a business leader uh, out there. So I hope that you can uh, tune in and listen each week, uh, whether it's live on the broadcast, uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, we broadcast through the uh, TuneIn Network. Uh, or you come back uh, and listen on iTunes in the podcast app, or we're syndicated on iHeartRadio. So on just about any possible thing you could use to get to the Internet, there's usually a, a way to get to iHeart. So you can find us there as well and listen to past shows. But really hope that no matter how you listen, uh that you hear something today that might help you, you know, in a, maybe a problem you're having in a, in a couple hours or with something that you've really been tackling. But you want to just take home something positive from something that, you know, somebody said on the show today. That's really our goal. I've personally met so many inspiring leaders. And, you know, when I've attended groups or conferences or spoken to some maybe a, a group of people, um, you know, I have that, that privilege of learning from them. And this show is really designed to give you the opportunity to listen in our dialogue so that you, know, you can hopefully take something away, learn something uh, from our conversation, and use it down the road. As I mentioned, we have uh, the shows live every uh, Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and um, you can access us through all those different mediums. Uh, we also have uh, the website, talenttalkradio.com. We've amassed a huge following. I think last week over 260,000 of you popped in and downloaded the podcast or went on iHeart. Uh, so a big thank you to everyone who's uh, tuning in on a regular basis. If you have a question for one of my two guests coming up today, don't forget, you can submit them via Twitter. Pop in your question and just add that hashtag Talent Talk. If you've got room to add at PeopleG2, that will help as well. And my producer, Mike, can try to feed me the best questions and we work them into the show. My guests today uh, include Chuck uh, Blakeman, founder and CEO at the uh, Crankset Group. And then we'll have uh, Crystal Wong, uh, the founder of ProSky. So Crystal will join me in the second half of the show. But let me go ahead and get to my uh, first guest, Chuck. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be with you. Let me know if I'm coming across okay. I can tune things up or tune them down. Uh, sounds like you're, I can hear you great. So I'm going to assume that everyone else can as well. Excellent. I'm getting well, thumbs up. So good. Uh, good. All right. So please tell everyone a little about yourself, uh, your company, um, and, and maybe, you know, kind of what you're seeing as a highlight that stands out here for things you're thinking about as a CEO and entrepreneur. Thank you. Yeah, I am a serial entrepreneur. I've uh, created 10 businesses on, uh, in seven different in- industries on four different continents. And I just fill holes and do things that I'm not supposed to be doing. You know, typical entrepreneur stuff. People tell me I can't do that, so I go ahead and do it. Right. 
and I spent my whole life doing that kind of crazy stuff. And I'm a left-handed, artsy-fartsy guy who went to music school and didn't know any better. And so I didn't realize until probably in my 40s that the way I look at business is a little, a little different. And I started helping other business owners with that stuff, and that slowly emerged into what we do today in, in business advising for other small to medium large companies who want to build a culture and basically rehumanize the workplace and give everybody their brains back. And so what I'm seeing, to answer your question, what I'm seeing is a, a tectonic shift, Chris, in the way that that uh, we are going to work with people in the workplace and how we're going to structure business going forward that affects everything from your beliefs to your culture to right down to very specifically how you hire. And we can get examples of, of how this works in every different level of your business. But the emerging work world isn't going to put up with the industrial age nonsense that we've foisted on people with the big top-down hierarchies and the command and control and all that stuff. And I'm really convinced that the majority of companies are still doing that simply because they don't know what else to do. They know it doesn't make sense, but they just haven't been able to, to figure out what else to do. So today we're going to help them figure out what else to do. Yeah, I'm excited to get to some of those uh, things that you mentioned. Um, if you indulge me for a second, uh, I'd love to know a little bit about your background in music. I'm a guitar player yeah. myself and have a band, so I'd love to know what you what you were doing before you figured out that you had an impact on business. Sure, so. well... I, I probably would have been labeled or diagnosed if, if they had that stuff when I was in high school. But I, I think I'm uh, – well, I know I've been – people have told me I'm uh, uh, ADHD and I'm di- dyslexic and I'm probably a few other labels as well. So I graduated like 510th out of 25 kids from high school. And that's not 15. I'm going to be an orchestral musician. And so that was sort of my direction in, in life to begin with. And I thought it was really creative, but it turned out it's actually like being a, a galley slave on a ship. Uh, the, you know, you just play in the in the orchestral world. You play exactly what's on the page to do it, and you do it exactly the same every time. So learning it the first time is creative, but by about the seventh time you played uh, Beethoven's Fifth, you want to go crazy. Right. So I thought it was going to be a creative way to live my life, and it wasn't. And, and my my poor mother, she kept asking me until she died at the age of ninety two, Chuck, what are you going to be if you grow up? And uh, I never had an answer for the question until, again, I was in my late 40s. I realized that being creative and solving problems, that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. And it doesn't matter what I do as long as I can be creative and solve problems. And and solving problems by its very nature is creative. So what we're doing today in in working with other CEOs and businesses, it's nothing but creative problem solving. And and so that's my background in music. It's led me directly to this, well, indirectly, in a very long, circuitous route. Well, I know you've got another company uh, called the Three to Five Club, and that helps business owners grow their business. And yeah. I think I read on your LinkedIn profile, uh, you had a little quote there: "You get what you intend, not what you hope for." So, if you were to say this to an entrepreneur just starting out, what do you think their response would be to this? To get what you intend and not what you hope for? Yeah. Well, it depends on the person, but I would hope they would look at it and see the ring of truth. Because most business owners, I'd say 95% plus, are, are working with what I call the random hope strategy of business. I'm going to work my butt off, and I hope something good happens. And you get what you intend, not what you hope. And the problem is, my first book was called Making Money is Killing Your Business. And the idea behind that is that people intend to make money. And instead, they should be intending to, to do something to solve a problem, do something great in the world around them, 
and uh, and build a life for themselves. And in doing those things, they will make money. Uh, so you have to int- you have to figure out what it is you actually want to intend to do, and then put your hand to that. Don't hope for it. Uh, the the industrial age nonsense. They sold us the bill of goods and said if if you chase money and you make a bucket load of money, the rest of it will somehow magically appear. No, it won't. You have to be very intentional. I know people who make millions of dollars a year who are very unhappy because they intended to make money. And I'm here to say you need to intend to, to get a life. And then you might find out you need to make even more money, whatever it is. But but you get what you intend, not what you hope for. And the way that breaks down for us very quickly, Chris, is most business owners are intending to make money. And that's all they get, and sometimes not very much of that. We teach business owners to pursue time and money and to be, be very intentional about it, to require that their business give them both time and money. And I can give you just stories all over the world of business owners who, after 18 years of never having a vacation, uh, taking five and a half months a year off now while their business has tripled in size because they changed their intention. Well, that sounds like great advice. Uh, you know, a lot of people often, you know, will chase that. We talk about purpose a lot in the yeah. talks that I give. And, you know, people are surprised when I tell them the purpose of your business is not to make money. That, that's usually a necessary thing that needs to happen. You're going to go out of business if you're not making any money. Yep. But you got to have a purpose as to why you're doing it. And that, that can have really help kind of guide you in the right direction and what you want to do and what you should be thinking about. Um, you, you've talked a couple times now. You've brought up this this term of the, the industrial age, or kind of the what that you know process looks like, and maybe what an average manager might might know. So you you've kind of brought in this other term of the participation age. So you know, if we're looking at these two types of things, if a manager with very little you know experience understanding in the differences, are there some simple things they can start to do? You know, to, to lean more towards the, that the participation age type of a philosophy? Or is this something fundamentally so big that it has to be, you know, kind of the whole slate has to be cleaned and a whole new process brought in? Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, the, uh, the reality is that it's actually very simple and very hard. And it is pretty much all-inclusive. You either buy the whole thing or don't bother. And I can give you way too many case studies on that. It's one of the reasons I don't like consultants in this stuff because they try and fix a piece of your business. But this isn't a piecemeal kind of thing. You're either in or you're out. You're either an industrial age company or you are a participation age company. And most companies out there are industrial age. So we got rid of the smokestacks and the assembly lines back in the 70s. But the front office looks just like it did in 1910 with guys and ties making genius decisions for all the idiots. And, you know, we would never say that, but that's in reality what's going on. I'm the smart guy. My job is to make all the decisions, figure stuff out, and your job is simply to execute. You're like an extension to a machine. Machines don't think. They just do what they're told. And uh, 95-plus percent of businesses are still functioning with that top-down hierarchy that limits their own people from being incredibly productive and contributing to building a great company. So the, the first thing, the first simple thing, and it's not easy. But it is the simplest thing that somebody has to do is decide, make a decision. Are people fundamentally stupid and lazy, and therefore they need to be managed and told what to do? Or are they fundamentally smart and motivated, and they simply need to be included in the game and let loose and watch what happens? 
Both of those are self-fulfilling prophecies. I've got companies that say, everybody who works with us are stupid and lazy. This would never work. My response is, you made them stupid and lazy, stupid and lazy because you decided up front that that's who you're going to work with. You set up a culture of suspicion and lack of trust and processes around the whole idea of making sure people couldn't possibly be that stupid and lazy, and that's who's shown up. But I can give you companies like W uh, Davida with sixty five thousand people, W L Gore with ten thousand, Semco with three thousand, Barry Wim Waymiller with twenty five thousand. These are all participation age companies where everybody there has a brain. They're all self managed. In most cases in those companies there aren't even any managers. Nobody works for anybody. They work on self managed teams where the teams take over all the function of management because, gee, what a surprise, the people who work there are actually self-motivated and want to figure this stuff out. So the leadership gives them results they need to get, and the teams go figure out how they're going to do it themselves. They get their brains back. But the first thing is, what do you believe? Right. Smart and motivated or stupid and lazy? And that's, that's really good advice. I mean, I can think back to some examples that I've given to companies to kind of help them identify if, you know, maybe where their culture is. And, you know, unless you have a worker on an assembly line where all these different people are actually completely, you know, connected to everyone, let's just say an, they're in an office setting and, and, and you control every little aspect of their life, you know, when, when they can go on break and when they're allowed to take a lunch and get five different people to approve their vacation requests and things like that. It's the kind of stuff you're talking. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have a hundred examples, but those are some of the simple ones that I would use to get people to understand. You're just driving them into being lazy and stupid. I, I love that term. I'm going to steal it for sure, um, but it, it's fantastic. Well, and we can actually blame the first known consultant for that. Frederick Winslow Taylor in 1911 wrote a paper called Scientific Management, and it forms the basis for all the ways that we manage people today. Peter Drucker said this guy Taylor had as much impact on the 20th century as Freud, Darwin, and Marx. And it was because he was the one who actually defined the employee as stupid and lazy. And if they are fundamentally stupid and lazy, you only have one choice. That is to find a few smart and motivated ones and lord them over the stupid and lazy ones and make them productive. And thus, management was born. So I didn't invent that. It's, it's the fundamental basis on which we manage people. People don't have the brains or the motivation to do it themselves. We've got to do it for them. And if they don't, chaos will ensue. I can show you hundreds of large corporations and thousands of smaller ones where that is not the case. People have their brains back, and it's more orderly, less chaotic, more productive, with less turnover and higher profits than any hierarchical company. The data's already in all, on all this stuff, Chris. It's it's not a matter of whether this is a better idea. It's been a better idea for 60-plus years uh, that we've been seeing it work out in corporations. The, really only, the, the only questions remaining, and the big one is, why doesn't everybody do it? Well, I think to your maybe very, very early point, it's just what everybody knows, and it's what they maybe get taught the first time in. And if yep. most companies are already doing it, well, then they keep perpetuating this sort of modeling, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, yeah. Nobody. You know, the biggest reason is nobody knows what else to do. They haven't been presented with other solutions other than the factory system hierarchy that they inherited from the smokestack environment. But the the other reason it doesn't happen is because once people figure this out, they can't refute the data. But it just scares them that it's the 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 idea that they're going to go into this great abyss of uncertainty and unknown, when in reality that never happens. 
And then the third reason is that, that ironically, the people who are most likely to have to implement this kind of lack of, or, 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 or distribution of management are people who are command and control managers who, who perceive that they will be put out of a job because of this. So it's, it's the, the very people who are the ones who need to implement it are the ones who feel like they're going to be hurt the most. It's not reality because what we want to do is we want to turn managers into leaders and, and that benefits the company and those people a lot more. But they perceive that their whole world is being threatened by self-management. Well, I, I want to make sure I asked you about uh, one of your books uh, that sounded, the title kind of interested me. I was hoping you could give us a little little taste of kind of what it's all about. Um, it was a 2013 book, Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea. So maybe you can kind of expand on that a little bit. Yeah, and, it, and we've been talking through some of that stuff here, but it's about the emerging work world of the participation age. And the idea behind it is that, it, that Taylor defined the 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 modern employee, and the the very definition of it is fundamentally bankrupt. It's not something we can rehabilitate. We've got to find another way to approach people. So employees are truly a bad idea. We want to replace the word and the concept with anything else, but we call them stakeholders because we like that idea of putting a stake in the ground and I own a piece of this mentally, emotionally, if not even physically. We're going to employ in the participation age. You you replace employees with stakeholders who are self-managed, self-motivated adults, and you replace managers who who uh, choose to to solve and decide. You replace them with leaders who train other people and then get out of the way. And so that's really the fundamentals of the book. How do we how do we get people to where they are truly engaged 100 percent? Well, we we move them from employee to stakeholder, and how we how do we get the managers? back to actually being productive as leaders and really contributing to the world around them. we got to get them out of making decisions for other people. So we, 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 prevent a lot of tool, we present a lot of tools and principles and methodologies in the book on that. And I'm sure a lot of that can really you know, help any size company work to really create a great culture. And you know, are, are there other you know, areas or, or maybe kind of uh, you know, stakes in the ground ideas that people should be thinking about as they're trying to maybe change their culture or maybe create a culture from scratch, uh, you know, again, for kind of any company of any size. Yeah, and this works for people with two people in their business. This is not for giant corporations just alone. This is for everybody. And I'll give you one of the examples we've already talked about. You have to change the way you believe about people and then re, re, start redesigning the way you respond to them. Your culture is simply your set of decisions that you make and your decisions that you make are based on your beliefs. So if you believe uh, people are smart and motivated, you'll start to change the way you make decisions. That'll change your culture, and that'll invite new people in who have actually have brains. The second thing here, there's a whole litany of, you know, there's probably six or eight things you could do, but another one is take on this as a mantra. The art of leadership is to know how few decisions the leader needs to make. And, uh, and so you, you push decision-making to the people who will have to carry out the decisions. That's a key part of changing uh, employees into stakeholders. Do they get to make decisions without checking in with daddy? Yeah, and that we, we, we talk about that all the time. Is the, the term I use is autonomy. Do they have the autonomy yeah. to make those decisions? And yep. they, they, they maybe don't have the autonomy to make every decision, but they, pretty no. much, they should be able to know which decisions are theirs to make and, and have you know that control. And it's a pretty big, uh, important thing that you know employees need to, to feel some 
level of happiness and engagement, I think, in any yep. company they work in. Well, uh, real quick, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with our audience? Yeah, I, I'd like to recommend uh, uh, David Marquette's book, Turn Your Ship Around. He was a, uh, uh, a captain in the Navy. He inherited the worst sub in the Navy, and he turned it around and made it into the best sub in the Navy in one year, and he had to keep the 135 people that had made it the worst sub in the Navy, and he did it with self-management. He, he broke all the rules and created a self-managed sub, and it, uh, it rocked their world. So I think a lot of military people are actually redesigning their, their, their concept of hierarchy based on it. Well, fantastic book. And in case uh, you didn't hear it, uh, we actually had that author, uh, David Marquet, on the show. So you can go back and listen. We did spend an entire hour talking about his book and his uh, future workbook that came out. So I'm glad you mentioned that book. It is one of my favorites. Um, it was one of the favorites that I do a, a book club as well with uh, HR pros, and that was one of the, their favorite books as well. It really was just fascinating uh, to see that what he, what he did. Um, yeah. uh, I love the I intend to uh, yeah. type of a way to get people to start thinking about but still yet communicating. So fantastic suggestion. And, and so, uh, Chuck, what, uh, how can people you know, get a hold of you or learn more about your company if they're interested in uh, checking you out? Yeah, they can go to chuckblakeman.com or cranksetgroup.com is our is our company. But either one, they can start at chuckblakeman.com and find out what we do there. We do keynotes, workshops, and, and do a lot of business advisory with companies all around the world. So they can go there, chuckblakeman.com. They can find our books there as well. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show. We probably didn't get to 70% of the things we wanted to. Uh, so we definitely need to have you come back at some point and we can Love pick to. up where we left off. Sounds great. I'd love to do it. Really appreciate it. Up next, we'll have uh, Crystal uh, Huang, who will join me after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a question for my next guest, we will certainly uh, try to squeeze them in here. You can send them on Twitter. Just pop in that question, add the uh, hashtag Talent Talk at the end, or if you have a room, add in at PeopleG2. 
And uh, my producer, Mike, can try to get me uh, those questions. Also, don't forget, you can uh, hear past shows and find this show in a few weeks' time uh, on iTunes in the podcast area, on iHeartRadio, on the app, or directly on the website, on any device, on any platform that you can uh, you might be using. And, of course, on TalentTalkRadio.com, uh, we have all the shows there as well. Really appreciate everyone uh, tuning in, uh, collaborating, and having a conversation about it. Really makes us excited to have so many people that... Uh, uh, listen to the show. So let's go ahead and get to my uh, second guest here, uh, Crystal Huang, uh, the founder of ProSky. Crystal, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me over. So please tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your company, ProSky, and uh, maybe uh, what you see as one of the biggest challenges here facing us in 2016. Definitely. So, um, well, as everyone has heard, my name is Crystal, and I'm the CEO and founder of ProSky. Um, ProSky is actually the one-stop hub for everything training, recruiting, and hiring uh, for companies. And we actually let companies test drive their candidates before hiring by doing projects and challenges with the candidates. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges that we're actually seeing as a company is um, because we are going to be growing pretty aggressively this year, um, you know, we definitely want to maintain a balance um, between growing fast and yet still providing impeccable service to our clients. Um, that's always been extremely important to us, and, you know, we don't want to lose sight of that as we are, um, you know, going 100 miles per hour, just trying to grow as fast as we can. Um, so I think that would be definitely one of the bigger challenges that we're facing this year. And and I love kind of the the idea here you have, the, the, the model which you've created for your company, you're kind of, you're having those candidates come in and, and do some different things that maybe they wouldn't normally do. And so uh, at least not in that uh, trying to get a job type of an atmosphere. So how did you come up with that, uh, you know, model for a business idea? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I actually ran marketing departments. Um, one of the companies I ran that for was a company called Vivend. Um, they're pretty big in a home automation and solar space. Um, and during that time, we actually had to hire um, a lot of candidates for the marketing department. And we were hiring candidates from amazing universities, um, quite a few of who were, you know, Ivy League universities. Um, and at that point in time, um, when we actually hired them on, we, we then realized that, look, they actually didn't really know a lot about marketing um, besides, you know, the usual tweet or Facebook update. And we actually had to structure an entire training program for them, which actually took a lot of the company resources and time. Um, and during that time, I was thinking, you know, there's got to be a better way of recruiting. Um, there's got to be a better way of finding people who not only have the skill sets, um, but who are the perfect culture fit for the company. Now, at the same time, my co-founder, and he's actually my brother, too, um, he was studying finance at um, the university, and he was flown out by one of the big Wall Street firms. Um, and met with the VP, and during that interview, the VP told him, look, even though this is a finance position, um, you're not going to be doing anything finance-related. Um, you'll be fetching my coffee, getting my dry cleaning, doing lots of PowerPoint presentations, but guess what? No worries, because you're going to have our name on you know, your resume, and you're going to be just fine. Um, and by the way, we're only going to be hiring one of you guys. Um, well, he actually um, got that position. He turned him down because that was not the kind of experience that he was going for. Um, ended up leading um, strategy at a wireless company, um, which was amazing for an internship. 
Um, and during that time, you know, we were just hearing all these horror stories, not only from our personal experience, but our friends. You know, I, I think half of my um, associates and friends are not even in the careers that they, you know, initially set out. Um, set out on um, after graduation and and that's where we actually came up um, with the idea for ProScribe where we wanted um, to connect the right candidates to the right companies and allow them to interact and work with each other before they actually make the commitment um, to either come on board as um, a hire or for the company to actually hire them. Yeah, that's a great idea and uh, imagine um, you know, it takes a little bit of kind of uh, thinking in a different direction and you know, and also being able to to, to really uh, kind of seize an opportunity um, in, in seeing those different things. And sometimes people, you know, can think that way because they had mentors, they've had people that really impacted, you know, their own leadership models. So I'm wondering if there's, you know, someone that maybe specifically impacted you and really kind of drove you towards a particular, you know, type of management style or entrepreneurial leadership style that you, you might share with us. Definitely, I think um, I think one person that definitely stood out was um, my dad. Um, he came from the HR space, um, and he's always instilled, you know, in in us as kids that it was extremely important um, the people that you hire um, to really understand who you're hiring, why you're hiring them for, and to make sure that they're the actual right fit for your company. Um, and so, so that was always the basis of you know our company to begin with, and um, that definitely led to our leadership style. Um, in terms of being a great leader, I think um, the biggest thing that I actually learned from was what not to do. Um, I had worked with in a ton of different companies where politics was always big, and and you know you see politics everywhere you go, um, and that was something something that I really really hated um, was having employees who had to go through politics to either move up the ladder or to get things done. And I really wanted to create an organization, um, you know, where everyone was valued and they didn't have to feel um, insecure or threatened by someone else and um, and that they should be rewarded um, if they were, uh, if they had good skills and if they were working hard. Um, and I think that really helped shape how ProSky um, is growing and how we've become. Um, we really, well, first of all, you know, we're, we're hiring based on skill sets. We're not hiring based on which schools or, which, or what GPA you have, um, which really allows us to create um, an organization that's completely diverse, not only um, in ethnicity but in skill sets. Um, the second thing is I don't think we have employees, you know, who have been afraid to speak their minds. You know, they'll, they'll help me, they'll tell me, um, they'll give me constructive feedback. Um, and, and I think that's really important in the cultural um, setting for any company um, is the ability to allow their, you know, employees to, to feel like they have somewhat of an ownership in the company and that they can contribute to the company no matter who they are or where they come from. And, you know, I think that's definitely been one of my greatest influence. Well, it's a great story, and I think I definitely agree. You know, as, as, ha, politics can have such a, you know, detrimental impact. People, you know, can get pushed through because they're liked by somebody or, you know, we very often see a, a very yeah. nice, likable person, even if it's not really that hardcore politics. But someone who's nice and likable get promoted. But, you know, you have someone who's maybe not quite as, maybe is a little more introverted, maybe not quite as nice. But whose skill set yeah. is just so much better and would actually have done the, 
a better job. You know, exactly. Choose people. You know, on instead of on the whole picture, you're looking at maybe one set of variables. You know, are they good looking or are they nice or things like that, which yeah. ultimately aren't going to help the company in the long run, um, and can help you yeah. really lose some of your best people because they get frustrated and they'll go somewhere else where they can get appreciated. Yeah, and we see that happen all the time. You know, um, upper management changes hand because of politics, and as a result, of that you know they they bring their camps with them. You know. Um, and it, it, you're right, it's not healthy for a company, and it doesn't um, add to their success at all. Yeah, and it's got to be difficult, too, because sometimes when people do bring in other people that they know, you know, it's always it's human nature to want to bring in some people you can trust. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you want to tell you the truth and that you know will help you in a new position. And so, but you do have to be careful, though, that it's not politics, that those people don't now get are the only ones that are going to get any sort of rewards or promotions or things like that. Um, it's, a, yeah. it's a very, very, very thin, thin line that, you know, management has to, to walk sometimes. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think a lot of that actually stems not only top-down, but also bottom-up, um, where it comes when you're actually recruiting and hiring the right people. Um, you know, if you're recruiting um, and hiring based on favors, or based on uh, what elite school they're coming from, um, you know, it kind of sets a tone. It may be more of an unwritten tone, but it sets a tone in the company. Um, and they're coming in thinking, you know, I have to do certain things to move up. Um, versus what we've seen, um, you know, I think that's why our model is so successful as well, is because what we're seeing is that when they're actually hiring them based on skills, what they see is that um, the employees are actually wanting to put forth better work. Um, in order to see that next promotion um, or to be put in a different team and whatnot, they're actually letting their work um, show how good they are and not so much, you know, the behind-the-scenes politics that we see so much. So I think I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many things that we have to think about as, as business leaders, and sometimes it's, you know, you can really only focus on the big-picture stuff and hope the little stuff will work itself out. Uh, especially as your organization grows, but you know there really can be some pretty impactful small things that you need to watch out for, and you know, uh, politics can can be one of those things for sure. Um, Definitely. So I, I, know, I know you have this background in marketing that we and um, obviously has helped you develop your business and, and get it on the map. So, have you used your marketing background to really attract and onboard some of the you know top talent in the industry? Is that you know, part of that marketing spin that you use is to bring in great talent? You know, I think it definitely helps. Um, you know, with marketing, you have to really understand who your audience are and who you're going for and to actually bring out the right messaging to them in the first place. Um, you know, the one market that we really have cornered well is the millennials. Um, and even beyond the millennials, um, I know some people call them like Gen Z. I like to call them iGens. Um, but we're really capturing this younger mar- market because, I feel like we really understand them. We know how to market to them. We know the kinds of platforms that they're using, um, the language that they're using. And um, that's something that we're seeing a lot of companies and even other HR tech companies are failing in, um, in securing this market, um, where it's a complete different mindset of why they want to be hired, um, the kinds of companies that they're looking to be you know, hired by. Um, and if you don't understand where they're coming from, you're not going to be able to market effectively to them in the first place. Um, and if you don't m- 
and from there, you know, if you don't market to them effectively, you're not going to get the cream of the crop. Um, you're just going to get, you know, whoever comes through the program. Um, and I think that's definitely helped us um, in procuring that um, market share. Yeah, and those are those are important factors. You know, finding the way you, which are unique, finding ways to to talk about your story and to, to get the right people in the doors. It, it's difficult to do, and you know, sometimes, mm-hmm. especially as if you're an entrepreneur, if you're wearing a lot of hats at one time, it's really really easy to just say, "Get me somebody," you know, to to sit there and do the job, and that may not be yeah. the best person because. You've got a hundred orders when last week you only had ten, and you just need help. Yeah, um, you know, and and then you can go back and end up regretting that decision. Um, you know, that person doesn't get doesn't do it correctly, doesn't you know think about things the right way that, that way in which you expect. So, it can be really difficult. You know, big big companies with big budgets and can go hire teams of people to go and find just the right person. But for anybody else, it can be a pretty big challenge. Uh, uh, because you have those constraints of time and of what are you going to pay them and who's what's your brand and you know do you have all those things kind of figured out so it can be quite tough exactly well um, you know, an obvious question I'm I'm sure that you're often asked is uh, what sets your company's really technology apart do you think in this uh, recruiting and hiring space yeah. Um... You know, the one thing I've always said, I mean, we've obviously done a lot of research, um, especially when we're starting a company. We still continue to do that. Um, the one thing that I'm seeing happening in this HR tech space, um, which is a great thing, by the way, um, is that a lot of companies are bringing traditional methods, and what they're really doing with them is merely digitizing them. And um, I don't – I almost kind of, you know, compare that – to slapping a band-aid over a wound, and you're not really, like, treating the problem. Um, you know, what we're really trying to do is to completely reinvent the whole recruiting will. You know, we, we don't want to, to say that, hey, look, we've been doing resumes and um, interviews, you know, for the past um, 20, 30 years, and it's great, it's working, let's just keep with it. But instead, you know, what we're trying to do is let's try to think of new ways and methods that can help improve a company's um, uh, form um, and methods of recruiting and actually hiring the right candidates. Um, and I think that's that's why, you know, ProSky has become so relevant in so many companies um, is that we're not just having companies just look at resumes or meeting, you know, that candidate's best representation of themselves during the interviews, um, they're actually, you know, shadowing them, they're ghosting them, they're trying to see exactly what they're doing right in projects, how to communicate with each other. Um, and And I actually had a company tell me this, you know, he said, you know, in interviews and even in the resumes, you know, you can make yourself look really good. And it's great when you can do that. But when you're doing a project with someone or you're doing a time challenge with someone, um, they can't be on their best behavior the whole time. And you actually start seeing the cracks and the weaknesses, which is not a bad thing because you want to see those cracks and weaknesses and you want to make sure that 
those weaknesses are um, able to survive in your organization, that you can actually handle it, um, that the people around them won't be bothered by those weaknesses, and maybe those weaknesses can actually be turned into strengths within your organization. And I thought the way he explained it was was so perfect as to what we're trying to do and how we're trying to change um, everything that's happening in HR recruiting um, and talent acquisition, acquisition at this point. Um, right. and I, I, so I think that's really one of the biggest things that sets us apart is that, you know, we have that ability um, for the companies not only, you know, to continue to have um, the usual, you know, ATS platform, but in addition to that, allowing them to have everything in one hub um, that they would need, you know, to manage their candidates, to evaluate them through projects and challenges, um, you know, to be able to customize their own pipelines, to be able to do interactions. I don't like to call them interviews. I call them interactions, but through videos and chat, um, all the way to actually sending an offer letter to candidate. Um, They don't have to use, you know, three to five different vendors anymore. Um, they can just go to one spot and manage all of their processes very seamlessly. Um, and I think that's definitely um, something that absolutely sets us apart from um, most of everyone else. Well, and it sounds like a great process that, uh, you know, our listeners may want to check out. Um, sounds like, you know, I mentioned with uh, some of the different things in, in your background and uh, ways you've been influenced by, you know, you said your father and uh, other leaders in, in business. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you might do a little bit of reading as well, and I'm wondering if you have a book that maybe you're <laughs> reading now or that you've read in the past that maybe you think that you know entrepreneurs or HR pros should should check out if you know they're looking to to get to get better. You know, um, you know, I, I actually wish I actually love reading. That's one of my biggest um, guilty pleasures. Um, Lately, I haven't had a lot of time to read an entire book. It's more been through um, Pocket. Um, but in the past, I think one of the books that really influenced me um, and actually uh, made me, you know, take that first plunge into this um, business uh, was a book called um, Creating Innovators. Um, that and also the biography of Walt Disney. Um, but that's a whole different story. But um, the neat thing about Creating Innovators was they were, you know, they're t- they did a lot of research, um, uh, Tony Wagner, you know, he went in and he actually um, researched all these great leaders of the world and innovators and seeing what set them apart and what made it so different that they were able to be these, um, you know, awesome out-of-the-box thinkers and innovators. Um, and, you know, one of the things that he actually found was that um, very early on in, in their lives, you know, they were extremely engaged in um, projects and collaboration with others um, and different forms of communicative um, uh, methods, you know, and, and that was something that really influenced us and um, really helped set the foundation of ProSky. Um, it was qualities and values that we had absolutely believed in, um, and I think it's definitely worth um, anyone in HR space or even ad tech space to, you know, definitely read through it and um figure out how to use what he's trying to convey, the messages that he's trying to convey, to actually um, influence um, the people within your organization. I think that's, um, you know, a a skill set that's extremely important and yet very difficult to learn. Um, So that that was definitely one of my favorite books. Yeah, and I think that if I heard you correctly earlier when we started our conversation, uh, that you work alongside your brother. Is that correct? I do. 
Yeah, so maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Uh, maybe if he's listening, you might be stuck saying really nice things. But um, you know, how is it? How is it working alongside your brother? You know, it's actually great. We've heard a lot of things um, as we were starting a startup. We've even had, um, we actually have always had a lot of investors ask us about it. Like, how's it working with sibling? You know, what happens if you guys argue? And I think, I, I think it's great to work with family. I don't think it works for everybody. Um, I think it's a little different because in our family itself, we're extremely open, um, and we just say what's on our minds, um, but we never get offended by it. And I think that's what's really important. So we would have a conversation, or, or rather, we would have an argument about you know something that's going on, um, and literally, like thirty minutes later, you know, we've it's been forgotten. And I think. That definitely helps, and because we know each other so well, I mean, we've lived with each other for, goodness know how many years of our lives, you know, that we understand what makes each other tick, um, and we have skill sets that are opposite, but yet very complementary to each other, and I think it's definitely been extremely helpful in building the organization where we um, can, you know, definitely rely on each other's, um, you know, assets. Um, and then for, you know, where we, we kind of fall short, you know, that's where the other person kind of picks it up. Um, so I, I think it's great to work with family. Um, like I said, it's not for everybody, but it works extremely well for us. <laughs> yeah, if you can figure out how to do it and you have those boundaries and, you know, if it yeah. sounds like you have those good complementary skills, it can really be a huge advantage, right, um, to have someone that you can trust and, you, you know, is going to get those things done and, um, yeah, you know, has, I mean, it's a company's best interest at heart as well. Yeah, it's definitely a great feeling to know that, you know, you have someone who has your back that you wouldn't have to worry about that person ever backstabbing you or, you know, um, going to the investor and trying to take interest away. And, and therefore, you know, the both of you can actually focus 100% on the company and not worry about the politics again, you know, that comes with it. So, you know, I, I think it's great. Well, Crystal, I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you today, and I wanted to make sure we ask you one final question, and that is how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about ProSky? Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely go into our website, um, ProSky.co, not .com, .co. Um, you know, you guys can also um, email us, um, whether it's at sales at ProSky.co or just a very simple hi at ProSky.co. Um, even if you just want to say hi there, um, we love um, communicating with um, our users and um, potential customers or even just people interested um, in what we're doing and um, love interacting with you guys. Um, and also definitely follow us on uh, Twitter or Instagram. We're extremely active on those channels as well. well. Again, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. I uh, learned a lot, and uh, good luck with your business. Thank you. It's been lots of fun. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you again to both my guests. Hopefully uh, you gain something that will uh, impact your own career in a positive way. Next week, I will be joined by Marvin Hamilton, the Chief People Officer of uh, uh, Translation LLC, and uh, Sarah Brennan, the Founder and Principal Advisor at uh, Acceler. And it looks like Paul's ready for the outro. So uh, until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. Yes, indeed, you've been listening to another episode of Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2.